Psalm 27 this morning, and uh, we read through the entire psalm. We'll not get through it this morning, so let's talk about it a little bit before we jump in. Psalm 27 was written by David sometime before he was anointed king, and given what he describes, it's reasonable to conclude that this is probably written sometime during the time that he was running from Saul. Um, a lot of what he describes would fit into that narrative. Warren Wearsby believed that the main theme of this psalm was the subject of fear. He divided it even into three parts. He said verses 1 through 6, the fear of circumstances. Verses 7 through 12, the fear of failure. And verses 11 through 14, the fear of the future. Now, I don't intend to follow that outline, but it's worth studying out because we all have encountered that, haven't we? We've all encountered fear of circumstances and of failure and even of the future. So I'm not, but I'm not going to follow that outline, but I do agree with him that David here is being inspired by God's Spirit to encourage us in the matter of fear. And this kind of message, I believe, is just in time. Because let's be honest. From the outside looking in, there is a great deal these days that can make us fearful. For, for many people, rising inflation is a scary thing because you, you don't have it so much to work with to begin with. And so whether or not gas is $2.50 a gallon or $4 a gallon makes a big deal. And it can really arouse some fear, can it? Rising inflation. Would you agree with me that there are some elements of our government that's growing increasingly hostile towards the people of faith? And if we're not careful, that can... Get some fear going, can it? How about an uptick in criminal activity? If you're not careful, every time you turn around, you can see video of people just acting crazy, attacking vehicles and rioting and looting and, 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 and beating on people. I mean, just stuff. I know this stuff is always going on, but it just seems more prevalent. It seems more active right now, and that can arouse fear. The election's coming up. And regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, everybody is voicing some kind of fear. I'm scared to death Mr. Biden will be reelected, or I'm scared to death Mr. Trump will be elected again, or I'm scared to death that it's going to be neither one of them. I'm scared to death it's going to be this guy. I'm scared to death this one's going to prison. I'm scared to death this one isn't going to prison. I'm scared to death the elections are rigged. I'm scared to death our country's falling apart. Listen, any and all of those things could be in play, but the, the common thread is I'm scared to death. I'll tell you what's caused me no shortage of discomfort. It seems like we're living in a time where there's just almost this universal loss of sane thinking. Things that we used to take for granted as being immutable truths are now being called into question, and we're being asked to live our lives according to the whims and, dare I say it, the insanities of others. I, mean, I can go specific if you want, but I think you can probably plug something in there. This place has gone crazy. This world's gone crazy. And it can cause us to be fearful. 
Interestingly to me, when you read through Psalm 27, David does not deny that negative circumstances exist. Because that's how some people try to do it. Oh no, everything's great. Everything's just honky-dory. We're going to be fine. That's not the right approach. Because everything is not great. Reality would tell us that everything is not honky-dory. We got some real problems. And David assumes that. But rather than employ a perspective of all is well in the world, instead, here's what he proclaims. All is not right in the world. But our God is sovereign over it all. He can be trusted, and though all may not be well right now, all will be well. So don't be afraid. That's his angle. You see, the key to living without fear, and if you know me at all, you know I haven't mastered this message. I don't wait until I've mastered a message to preach it. Sometimes I preach it because I need it but we could all stand to hear it. The key to living without fear can be found in the two divisions of this psalm. David works back and forth between two expectations that when fully applied will mitigate our fear no matter what is going on around us. There's two reasons that we shouldn't be afraid. Number one, we should not be afraid because of what we can expect from God. But then, we further douse those fears when we live in those ways that God has every right to expect of us. So for the next two messages, this morning and tonight, if the Lord will help me, I want to preach on this subject, finding faith instead of fear. Finding faith instead of fear. Father... Would you help us as we approach this message? May it do exactly what it's intended to do and help us in the matter of our fear. Lord, it could be somebody here today who's got a fear of the unknown in eternity. Lord, you've got the answer for that too. Whatever the case may be, I pray that people would hear what they need, respond accordingly, and that Jesus would be lifted up. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're finding faith instead of fear, and we begin with with the first perspective in this psalm of what we can expect of God. I should have faith instead of fear when I meditate on that which this psalm and the word of God as a whole tells me I am allowed to expect of God. What do I mean by that? Are there certain things my kids should expect of me? They should expect me to keep a roof over their head. They should expect me to keep clothes on their back. They should expect me to keep food in their bellies, not as much as they want, but as much as they need. Because if it was as much as they want, I'd go broke. Both of them are in a growth spurt right now and are just, I can't keep up. And they've developed a taste for everything I like. I've even tried to bring in things that I don't like and acquire a taste for it, so they would, but no, they find a taste for that too. We buy two sets of popsicles. We buy the cheap popsicles for the kids. 
and we buy the good stuff, the all fruit popsicles for me and her. And Asher's walking through the house with a big old mango popsicle, fresh fruit mango popsicle. No, that's not how this works, son. You get the cheap stuff. Parents, have you ever done this? Have you ever bought a box of Fruit Loops, honest to goodness Fruit Loops, and kept the box forever and just kept filling it with the cheap Malta meal fruit rings? The drug lords call that cutting the product. Huh. What in the world does that have to do with this message? Oh, I know. My, my, my kids have a right to expect some things of me because... It's my job, and it's what I've openly offered to them. They can expect to be kept safe. Hey, parents, that includes knowing what's on their phone. That includes knowing who their friends are and what their friends are influencing them to do. Keep your kids safe. They have every right to expect that. My wife has certain things she can expect of me. I have certain things that I expect of her. Well, God has set forth some things in his word that he wants us to expect of him. And if we learn this and we apply it, it's going to help mitigate our fear and replace it with faith. Number one, what can I expect of God? I can expect his his sufficiency. I can expect for God to be sufficient for every need that I have. Now, we say we believe that, but do we live it? Do we try to help God with his plans? Do we try to supplement God's wisdom sometimes? Sure we do. But the reality of it is, God, right from the beginning, the first time he gives his covenant name, what is he telling Moses? When he says, I am hath sent you, what's he saying? I'm sufficient. Because I am, that's all you need. Can I tell you something, friend? Christ is all you need. And the more you live that, the more you find out he's all you want. Sufficiency. Verse number one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What is David saying? David is saying, yes, I've got bad things all around me, but I have found my God to be all sufficient to the needs that I have. Therefore, I will not fear. In this matter of sufficiency, first of all, he's sufficient in his identification. Look at what it says in verse 1. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. It doesn't say that's what he brings. It doesn't say that's what he produces. It says that's who he is. The greatest help in understanding what God is doing is in learning to rest in who he is. I can't always explain to you why God allows what he allows or does what he does or goes where he goes or or fails to do what I want him to do. I can't explain any of that more often than not. But here's where I rest. I know who God is is and that he is all sufficient and that he's never made a mistake and I can trust him by his very identity 
He's all sufficient in his identification. You know what else? He's all sufficient in his illumination. Look what it says. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my what? Light. Now notice, there's an order here. Light precedes salvation. Now there are some whom I love that believe that regeneration precedes salvation. It does not. But light does. The fact is, our hearts are naturally dark, and somebody has to pour a light in there for us to see the truth, and that's exactly what he does. He illumines us and shows us what we need to know. It's God that initiated salvation. It's God that woos us through his Holy Spirit. It's God that speaks to us through his word. He's the one that illuminates us. You didn't want Jesus. Jesus wants you. Listen to what Jesus said, John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, what? Draw him. How does he do that? He illumines our lives with the Holy Spirit and his word and shows us that we need Jesus. You see, we can expect God to be sufficient because of his identification, his illumination, and then his salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. My hope for eternity, friend, is not just found in what God will do. My hope is rooted in who he is. God does not provide salvation. He is salvation. Salvation is not just a plan, friend. Salvation is a man. Jesus says unto him, I am the way, not I show the way, or I bring the way, or I open the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John chapter 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. John 11, he's talking to Martha as Lazarus lay there in the tomb, rotting away. He says, Martha, your brother will live again. I know he'll live again at the resurrection at the last day. What does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked the three most important words in a question ever. Believest thou this? God is all-sufficient for your eternal need, no more, no less. You don't need religion. You don't need good works. Those are all things that come peripheral to salvation. Salvation is Christ and Christ alone. We can expect God to be all-sufficient in our lives because of his identification, because of his illumination, because of his salvation, and because of his energization. Don't ask me to say that again. He energizes, doesn't he? Look at what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. He doesn't just save you, friend. He keeps you. 
And too often, we seek to find our strength in the temporary or maybe even in the carnal, and we forget to go back to the only reservoir that offers real strength, and that's God himself. You need, you need help now? Go to, go to the same grace that saved you. Go to the same Christ who saved you. Stop trying to do it on your own. He's who gives you strength. He's who energizes us. What can we expect of God? We can expect his sufficiency. Why shouldn't I be afraid? Psalm 37, 39 says this, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord will help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in what he does? No, because they trust in him. Now, before we leave this section, I want you to notice something. Verses 2 and 3. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What is he saying? What is he saying I'll be confident in? In what am I going to be confident? It harkens back to verse 1. I will be confident in the truth that the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What's David saying? He's saying, I'm not afraid because God is all sufficient. We don't need to be afraid because God is all sufficient. Not just his sufficiency. Number two, we don't need to be afraid because of his protection. His protection. Verse number four. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Something very interesting about that verse. David is speaking of something that does not yet exist. The temple has not yet been built. So what's he doing? David is foreshadowing something, and we'll talk about that tonight. He's foreshadowing something, and it's a deeper spiritual truth than your average Old Testament saint got a hold of. You'll find if you study the life of David, and we may in short order, if you study the life of David, David had a whole lot of insight into New Testament truth that a lot of Old Testament saints didn't. Part of what made him a man after God's own heart. But then in verse number 5, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. What's he saying? Three words. Number one, the word pavilion. What's he talking about? Now, it's not like what we were in last night at the lake. It's the pavilion of the king. When the king was at battle, here's how they would set it up. They would set up the king's tent and his pavilion in the middle of the camp. And all around was the army. He was in the dead center, the safest possible place for the king to be on the battlefield. What's David saying? I am in the very center of the strength of God's protection on my life. There, anything that gets to me has to come through all of his guard all the way around. 
okay? But then he talks about the secret of his tabernacle. What's he talking about there? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy of Holies. You see, the Holy of Holies, no one was allowed to go. The only person who could go, other than when they were dismantling the tabernacle to move it, which was its own thing, only one person could go in the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement, and that was the high priest. It was off limits to everyone else. And yet David is saying, I dwell in the Holy of Holies with God. It's another example of David seeing something yet future. He understood something that we would see in John 15 and 2 Corinthians 5, that the believer, the New Testament believer, doesn't dwell with Christ or of Christ. Where are we? We're in Christ. David had a a hunch on that, a sanctified foreshadowing. But what he's saying is, he's saying, I dwell where God does. And not only am I where God dwells, I'm in him. So not only does anything have to come through the host of God to get to me, it's got to come through God himself to get to me. But then he moves on and says, he's also set me upon a rock. Not only am I protected within the presence of the enemy, eventually I'm going to be above the presence of the enemy. What does that foreshadow? When do we go up? Heaven. It's interesting. The pavilion, the pavilion was something that was present to David. This is how the king operated. The secret of the tabernacle was something that had begun in the past. The rock was yet in the future. What do you take from that, friend? He's got you covered, past, present, and future. If you're his, some of you need to learn that you're protected from your past. And some of you need to rest that you're protected for the future and just enjoy being protected right now in the present. Why shouldn't we be afraid? Why should we opt for faith instead of fear? Because of his sufficiency. Number two, because of his protection. Number three, because of his placement. Here's another one of those foreshadowings. Verse number 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Old Testament David has a very clear view of a New Testament truth, and that's the doctrine of adoption. He's adopted me. Now, let's talk about adoption for a minute. Adoption is not quite the same thing that we would understand now. There are a lot of similarities, but adoption could happen in two different ways. Adoption was, first of all, the legal, the legal move by a father to place his adult son, who was his physically. In both Hebrew and Greek culture, a son had to be placed into a role of sonship 
before he could inherit everything that was there for him. So until that point, you see this in Galatians, until that point, that child was treated just like a, you know, just like one of the slave kids. But when they were placed, they were given all the rights and privileges of sonship. But adoption was also more like what we think. You could take a child who was not yours physically, who needed a parent, and you could adopt them into your home. But here's the thing. If you do, by law, you may not disown them for any reason. That's one of the reasons we embrace what's called eternal security. God's made it very clear. I won't drop you. I can't. I wouldn't if I could. We should feel protected. We should feel safe. We shouldn't fear because we belong to him. And daddies look after their kids. Romans chapter 8 verse 15. The, the second part of that verse says, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But don't forget the first half of that. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to what? Fear. What answers that spirit of fear? Having received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Why shouldn't we be afraid? Everything that's going on, all this mess with President Trump, all this mess with President Biden, all this mess with Hunter Biden, all this mess with China, all this mess with Ukraine and Russia, all this mess going on over here, inflation's over here, and the medical establishment is the vaccine safe, and all COVID's coming back, and what do we do? Those are all important issues, no question. But we shouldn't be afraid why because he's all sufficient because of his protection because of his placement and then finally because of his healing are you aware like i am that fear can wound you fear can cripple you i know I have a fear of heights. My wife and I, for our honeymoon, we went to Las Vegas. And one of the places we went outside of Las Vegas was Hoover Dam. She knows why I call it Hoover Dam. Because she took a picture of the sign and cut off the H. So now all we have to represent that we were there is Hoover Dam. Now, Hoover Dam, this is an actual measurement. I looked it up. Hoover Dam descends down, I think it's something like 2.5 million feet. Not that much, but it might as well be. When you're afraid of heights, it might as well be 2.5 million feet. It is almost a sheer drop. And to protect you from the sheer drop as you're walking along Hoover Dam is a wall about this high. If I'm lying, I'm dying. They've got signs painted on it. Do not let animals walk on wall. You know what happened. Fido took a leap. I'm sure it went something like, 
Splash. And so we parked and walked across Hoover Dam. My wife will tell you. First of all, normally it's my, it's, it's my upbringing to walk on the side of my wife where there's the most danger. Not this time. She's by the wall, and I'm by the street, because I'd much rather get hit by a car than fall over the side of Hoover Dam. And my hands were clammy, and I nearly broke her hand. And I'm moving like this. And when we finally get to the other side, because for some reason you have to say that you walked across Hoover Dam, you get to the other side, I notice that I'm only about 300 feet away from the Arizona state line. So I went on, kept on walking. I went to Arizona. <laughs> I've been to Arizona for about two minutes. I was paralyzed. Was there any real danger? No. It's like clowns. Are clowns inherently dangerous? Probably not. I don't like clowns. They make me nervous. I steer clear of McDonald's when I have to because, you know, Ronald might show up. So if a clown would have showed up on Hoover Dam, that would have been a real problem. I was paralyzed because that's what fear does to you. Even when there's nothing there really to be afraid of. And if we refuse to see what the Bible teaches about God and what he has for us, we can go through this entire life absolutely paralyzed over things that have no power over us. None. I respect the power that Satan has, but I'm not afraid of him. I don't need to be. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Do you know who I'm more afraid of than Satan? His flesh. His flesh. Verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, this is a conditional promise. It's tied into obedience, and we're going to look at that tonight, what God expects of us. When we obey, God then offers us more mechanisms to not be afraid. But when we wait on the Lord, and there's so much in that word, we'll cover that tonight. When we wait on the Lord, he strengthens our heart. What does that mean? The strength of verse 1 is the initial protection offered by becoming a child of God. But the strength of verse 14 is not the same strength. This is a strength that is more maintenance. If we could put it this way, this is God filling in the cracks. When something scares us, when we get afraid and we, our, 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 our faith starts to crack, God comes in and fills them in. God comes in and heals those wounds. When we trust in God, he heals us of the fissures that fear and its origins create. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope 
in the Lord. And then Psalm 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will, same word, strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So why shouldn't we be afraid? Why should we opt for faith instead of fear? Because of what we can expect of God. We can expect his sufficiency. We can expect his protection. We can expect his placement. We can expect his healing. And all God's people said, so what? All right, Andy, what do I do with this message? What do I take from this? All right, here's the so what. You ready? At some point, maybe not initially, but at some point for every Christian in here, fear becomes a decision. Now, you may get overwhelmed initially, but once you go to the Word of God and once you talk to God about it and once His Holy Spirit starts working on you, then at some point you have to decide, am I going to stay in this fear that God's Word has clearly told me I don't need to be afraid? Am I going to stay here or am I going to trust God? And the reality of it is, when we get overwhelmed with fear as believers, it can only be ultimately for one reason, and that's that we have made a decision to give into our fear instead of have faith in God. And that's the so what. That's the question that I have for you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're fearful about eternity, You've got a choice this morning. I'm either going to live the rest of my life fearful about what comes next, or I'm going to have faith that Jesus Christ will save me like he said he would. It's your choice. If you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and some kind of fear has found its way into your life, you've got a choice right now. Am I either going to continue to give in to those fears, or am I going to trust by faith? And what God says about himself and his word. Am I going to trust his sufficiency? Am I going to trust his protection? Am I going to trust his placement? Am I going to trust his healing? Or am I just going to expel faith and live in fear? Your choice. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.